So we're continuing our study through through First Timothy. Uh, last week, Tony had the uh, had the wonderful passage in First Timothy chapter two, and I'm just going to read you a couple verses. So if you weren't here last week, let me just read you a couple verses, whet your appetite, and then you can go home and you can listen to last week's sermon. Verse 11 of chapter 2, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So, Merry Christmas. And if you have literally an hour and a half, then you can go back and you can listen to, uh, you can listen to Tony's sermon last week. I was thinking, uh, I'm not kidding either, it was, it was literally an hour and a half. I was thinking, as I looked at my watch, as it got close to 8 o'clock, I thought, it's VBS week. Those poor volunteers have been pouring themselves out all week long, and now here it is, 8 o'clock. But it was really good, and it was really informative and very helpful. Um, tonight, we're going to launch into chapter 3, um, and uh, it's 13 verses, but it's funny. I told Tony, I was like, how in the world... I feel like we've broken this up in these chunks of Scripture. It's, it's just so much because we're literally, as a staff, so myself and Tony and Matt and Chandler, we're reading a book called Workers for Your Joy. And it's a 300-page book based on the first seven verses of chapter 3. And it is so good. And I'm just sitting here thinking, 300 pages for seven verses and I'm supposed to get through these 13 verses in in less than an hour so it's it's so much there's so much here and so much good stuff and and we're just going to take some time we're going to unpack it now I wonder if uh if I was to hand you the book that we're reading and I wonder you know if and it's a wonderful book like it it is a fantastic book but I wonder how many of you uh, because it really is uh, about eldership and the qualifications of an elder and what it means and what it looks like and how it fleshes itself up out in the lives of, of the elders. And I wonder how many of you would, and maybe you just kind of glaze over if, if you were handed that book. And you would be kind of like, okay, that is really boring. Would you give me something else that's a little more... I feel like maybe you might feel like that. And I think that maybe... We come to passages of Scripture like we find in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we begin to have conversations about qualifications for elders and qualifications for, for deacons. And I wonder um, how many people who just, you, you come to church every week, you're wonderful Christians, you serve the Lord, you're doing great things, but if we're honest, you would just kind of move on past these passages because... Uh, maybe you're tempted to skip ahead to something that is a little more relevant to you because this is, this is for leadership, this is for elders, this is for deacons. And so let's just move on past that and get to the stuff that's applicable to me. And so there's a danger in coming here tonight and, and doing just that uh, because there's some things we need to understand. We need to, we need to ask the question as we come in here tonight and we're faced with this passage of Scripture, Okay, well, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? What is, what's the, why should I listen? There's a few reasons, but we need to understand a few things. And we need to start out by understanding that our church leadership affects every follower in the family. This, your leadership at this church 
This is a family. We are a family of faith. And so your leadership directly impacts and affects every single follower in the family. So this is an important conversation. And if church leaders, and it's the same that's true in every other church around the world, but if you think about it, if your church leaders are casual about God, or casual about holiness, or casual about His mission in this world, then what you're going to find is, so goes the church. That the church will fall short in this area if the leaders fall short in this area. And listen, your leaders are not perfect. We don't have it all together. I'm not standing up here saying, hey, we're, you know, look at us. Do what we're doing because we're awesome. That's not what I'm saying. But God has laid out these qualifications. And this is what leadership is meant to be. And so goes your leadership. So goes the church. And so it's important for us to understand that. And if this is neglected and people are casual, leadership is casual about God and, and personal holiness and the mission of God in this world, then what's going to happen is, is there's going to be an apathetic church that follows behind this type of leadership. And if leaders, church leaders, are passionate about God and passionate about holiness and passionate about His mission in this world, then the church will be strengthened and souls will be transformed. That's what's going to, to naturally take place. And so, no matter who you are or how you serve in the church, church leadership matters. As go the leaders, so goes the church. And I would add to this too. I would say, we're going to be looking specifically at elder and deacon qualifications but here's what's remarkable, remarkable about what we're going to talk about tonight. This is what's remarkable about uh, the qualifications for leadership in the church. The qualifications are really unremarkable. That's what's remarkable. You know, Pastor Tony stood up here last week and he said, you know, we're, we're going to be unpacking. We're going to be talking about this next week. And there's so few people that are really qualified to lead and stand in these leadership positions within the church. But the truth is, is these, these things that we're going to talk about tonight, it's not like it's, we're, we're talking about the spiritually elite. We're not talking about, um, we're not talking about the, the most educated people in the world. We're not talking about world-class intellect. We're not talking about the most talented of all the talented you know, we're not talking about the people who wear this super Christian cape around everywhere they go because they're on it. No, we're talking about we're talking about character traits of general Christian maturity. That's what we're going to be talking about. And so church leaders, what we're going to see is, is church leaders are to be examples of normal, healthy, mature Christianity. Everything that we're going to talk about. Don't miss this because everything that we're going to talk about are just general principles when it comes to living out Christian faith. That's all it is. In 1 Peter chapter 5, um, and, and actually I made some references further on, down on your handout, but there's um, other lists of places for qualifications for elders in Scripture. Um, in Titus 1, in 1 Peter 5, on the back end of what, you know, what Peter's charging the elders to uh, he makes a statement. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
So if, if the leaders and the elders are to be examples to the flock, then that means that what they're leading in and being an example of is attainable. Does that make sense? And so if it's unattainable, then why would there be any reason to be an example to the flock? That these are just character traits of general Christian maturity. Every believer should aspire to these things. Every believer can attain these things. With the exception of not everybody has the gift to teaching. And so that is an exception. But everything else, everything else found in this passage, it's, it's intended by Christ for every single member in the church. No one's off the hook here when it comes to these characteristics and these traits. And so when we look at this passage, when we come to Scripture, we need to understand also that church leadership is not designed the way we think it should be designed. It's not our idea of how it should be designed, but it's, it's designed by God and clearly laid out in Scripture. Clearly laid out in Scripture. And so what is it? What's it to look like? What are the qualifications? Well, I'm going to read through this whole passage. It's 13 verses. Can you stay with me for 13 verses? All right. So, we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must, be, uh, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, he, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So that's elders. Now we move into deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a mouthful, all right? But here's what we need, here's where we're going to just stop because we need to frame this in. We need to frame in our conversation. We're going to have a conversation about qualifications of leaders in the church. Well, we need to frame this in. So let's begin by framing it in when we decide... We don't decide, but when God makes it very clear that the Bible identifies two primary leadership roles in the church, elders and deacons, okay? And God is very specific. He's very specific. And so we have these character qualifications, and we have different roles and different responsibilities. If you were here last week, it just, it, we're, just follow, we're just continuing to follow on. And so there's, there's these different roles and responsibilities within the home. Agreed? That there's, there's this certain created order that God has designed. And so Tony spent a lot of time talking about that last week. And so there's this created order. And the enemy comes and seeks to attack that create, created order. 
and tear down the family and tear down the church. And so there are different roles and qualifications and responsibilities for those who serve in leadership in the church. And this is for the good of the church. God cares dearly about his church. It's his bride. And so he wants to make sure that the bride is cared for. And so there's a created order in doing that. So when it comes to elders, we need to understand a couple things. Elders are servant leaders. Servant leaders. Because who's the ultimate example of, of what it means to, or what, what it looks like to live? Jesus Christ. And he was a servant leader. And so elders are meant to be servant leaders. And that means that Christ entrusts elders to lead the church as overseers. To oversee the church. That's what he's called elders to do and to be. And so he's very, very specific in the way in which we're called to do that in the qualifications. Alright, so there's a difference. What's the difference between deacons and, and elders? So if, if elders are servant leaders, this may get a little confusing, but stay with me. I, we'll, we'll unpack it. If elders are servant leaders, deacons are leading servants. Now, what's the difference? Is there a difference? See, Christ entrusts deacons to lead the church in service. So, so who's called to serve? Who's called to serve in the church? Everybody. We're all called to serve. So does that mean we're all deacons? Well, what's the difference? Well, deacons are leading the way in service. Does that make sense? And so they're servants, but they're, they're leading servants. What you'll find around here is a lot of ministry uh, leadership positions are filled by deacons within the, within the church. Now, not, that's not the case for everything, but they're leading the way in service. And so you look around and you look at places of service. There, there are deacons that are in place and they're leading, leading the way. And so they're servants, but they're in positions of leadership to help lead the flock within the body. So they're leading servants. We're servants, but somebody is leading those that we're all called to, to serve. And so they play a vital role in leading and, and carrying out um, many matters within the church, operational matters. But here's the thing, that, that deacons are fully devoted to the Word of God and they're fully devoted to meeting the needs of the church and the world around us. They're leading the way. And they're showing us what it looks like to, to lead. And when deacons serve in this way, they serve the church. And by doing so, they serve the elders. This allows the elders to lead as God has called them. And so we don't have, there, there's so many things that we could talk about tonight. We don't have time to go into uh, to the passage in Acts chapter 6. I encourage you when you get home that, like I said, I'm, I put several different um, surrounding scriptures for you to go and reference but um, in Acts chapter 6 you can see where the first deacons were called and the reason and the purpose behind that and, and, and it'll be very helpful for framing things in so that see so as the deacons served and that allowed the apostles in that situation the elders to serve in uh, in their capacity and their <laughs> yes so, hey, look, there we go. It may take him. No, we got sound right back. All right, good deal. So, so anyway, Acts chapter 6, and you can go and you can reference that uh, when you get some time. And...
stay with me. Scott may have to take over up in the booth. That's really going to keep him on his toes. The computer down? Okay. All right. So while it's rebooting, that's okay. We'll just continue on. We'll press on. Um, so uh, where was a vital role within the church? Okay. So deacons serve the church, and by doing so, they allow the elders to lead the lead as God has called them to. That's that's what happens. It opens the door so that we can focus on elders can focus on what God has called them to focus on. Deacons can focus on what God has called them to focus on. Everybody serves in their lane and serves in a way that that the whole church and all the needs of the church and the community and the world around us that they get met as everybody fills their responsibility and their role. All right. Here's here's just a couple more things we need to understand Uh, because there's a danger. Because oftentimes when it comes to this conversation of elders or deacons, um, a lot of times what happens is, is churches end up basing, uh, basing it more on tradition than the Word of God. And when you base the way you do things more on tradition than what the Word of God says, you get yourselves in all kind of trouble. And we get ourselves in all kind of problems. So when we do that, what happens is, is uh, first, number one, and so... If you have your handout, you'll notice that was one of your fill-in-the-blanks. When you base more, tra- uh, more on tradition than the Word of God, it leads to, first of all, unbiblical structure of the church. Unbiblical structure of the church. I want you to, I want you to think with me. And if you're new around here, I know if you've been through Starting Point the last, uh, this past year, the last couple Starting Points we had uh, we spent some time unpacking and, and helping you understand that this is an elder-led church and why this is an elder-led church and what that looks like. But maybe you're here tonight and you, do, you don't really understand what that is. You don't really know the difference. Because here's the thing. Most, most churches, many, many churches, are not elder-led churches. They're not. You have a pastor who is, who is leading but oftentimes isn't even leading because there's all kinds of problems. But let's just forget the fact that we'll get into that in a minute. But you have a pastor who's leading without, without anybody around him, no surrounding elders in place. And so very few churches actually are elder-led. So let's just unpack just a little bit, okay? Here's what ends up happening if you, if you have a church that is not elder-led. There's a lot of things that happen, but let's just talk about two. What often happens is it either leads to um, it either leads to a dictatorship or it leads to a democracy. Okay, so you have a dictator who just dictates everything in the way in which uh, he thinks that things should go, and we're just going to do what he says the way in which he says it. And uh, hey, we're back online here. Okay. Uh, Okay, there we are. Right? Okay, so it, it either leads to dictatorship or it leads to democracy. And so what I mean by that is you just got one person in charge and they're going to do it the way they want to do it, when they want to do it, and you're either going to get on board or you can go find a new church. Or it leads to a democracy, which is, okay, the people decide what's going to happen. Now forget about the fact 
that God says that the leaders will answer for how they lead the church, but the people, the sheep, then determine the way in which we're going to go. And so you can get yourself in trouble on both ends, whether it's a dictatorship or democracy. Now, I meant to put this on your handout, and I completely forgot, so if you want to write it in, it will be very helpful. Plurality through eldership creates safety for the sheep and security for the shepherd. This this is what it does. An elder-led church, what it does is it creates safety for the sheep and security for the shepherd. So what do I mean by that? It, it, It creates protection for the sheep. See, you can't have a dictator when there's a plurality of eldership. So maybe you don't understand. Um, so, so at this church, it is an elder-led church. There will always be more lay elders than paid staff elders. So what do I mean by that? So Tony and myself are elders at this church. Frank Heinrich, sitting right back there, he's an elder. He's just a member of this church, right? Wade Benton, David Latill, who magically got the sound running tonight, who's awesome and amazing. So we've got more lay elders than we have paid staff elders. Why is that important? Because see, if it's just the paid staff, then we can just, we can just move anything we want of it. We can direct any way in which we want to direct. We have power to, to accomplish whatever it is that we want to do. Does that make sense? But when you have, when you have lay members who are elders that outnumbered the paid staff members, then that gives great protection for the sheep and the body of the church. And that's extremely important because many of you in this room, you have been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by this dictatorship. There's been abuse. There's been all sorts of things. So in order to create protection for the church and for the people, to make sure that we're in line with Scripture and we're doing what God calls us to do in leading the way in which God calls us to lead, then we lead through plurality. But it also allows the shepherd to lead and to preach as God has called him to. So what do I mean by that? See, there's so many many churches that can't boldly preach the word of God. They can't because there's no security. If If they start boldly preaching the word of God, you start... You start saying things and doing things that, that the body doesn't like. And so you're gone. You're out of here. And so what it leads to is it leads to lame preaching. You know what lame preaching leads to? Lame sheep. That's what happens. And so it's security for the shepherd that, hey, God has called me to lead in this way. And so we gather together and we make our decisions. We look to Scripture. We ask God to lead and guide the elders as we seek to, to lead and guide this church and make sure that this is what God wants and this is according to what God's Scripture and His God. And we move forward and we can move forward and there's security in that knowing that, hey, there's not, it's not just one person. There's a group of us. We're in this together. And the benefit, what we're looking for is to be obedient to God and to, to care for and to serve and to love the church. That's the goal and that's the, the desire. Not everybody's always going to be on board with that. That's just the truth. That's just the reality. But when we, when we have this plurality through eldership, it protects the sheep, it creates safety for the sheep, and it creates security for 
the shepherd. So we have unbiblical structure for the church, but we also, whenever we lean on tradition more than the Word of God, it can lead to unbiblical function and power of deacons. See, there's a lot of churches, and some of you, you know, like you've been there. Been there, done that, you've lived it. And the deacons run the church. The deacons run the church. And I'm not saying, hear me, hear my heart. We have the most amazing, we have the most amazing elders in this church. We have the most amazing deacons in this church. And, And there's no greater value in eldership and deacons and members. We all just serve in different functions and roles. And God has designed it that way for a reason. And so you ask yourself, okay, when it's not that one's better than the other, or one's, you ask yourself, what's more important? The wing of the airplane or the engine of the airplane? Well, they're both equally important, but they serve different function and roles. Okay? And so, so God has called it to be a specific way for a specific reason. And it's His church. And, if I, and, and Tony said this last week, and we'll get to it in a little bit, but I would much rather be sitting where you're sitting. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I would love to hand you the microphone and go sit in the chair. I promise you. And what's crazy is, is we read verse 1, and it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and I'm thinking, who in their right mind would do that? Like who? Nobody. Only God can, can stir and move and do those things in the heart of somebody. Number three. It can lead to unbiblical practice when it comes to choosing leaders. Most leaders choose, uh, most churches choose leaders the way the world chooses leaders. That's, that's the way most churches choose leaders. And so sometimes that looks like popularity. And so whoever's most popular, whoever's got the most charisma, whoever's got the most outgoing personality, everybody, you know, everybody knows them and everybody likes them. And so we're just going to vote them into a position of leadership. Well, okay, we don't see that in this passage we just read. Or uh, the politic game. You come, you know, you have the right name, especially in a lot of churches. You'll see that like you have the right name. You come from the right family. And so you just are automatically going to step up into positions of of leadership. You shake the right hands, you're in the right crowd, or prosperity. A lot of times what you'll see is you'll see that um, wealthy members in the family uh, often make their way into leadership. And and sometimes, and, and let me say this, being wealthy is not a bad thing. And None of these things, whether it's popularity or politics or prosperity, I'm not saying that you can't be any of those things and still serve as a deacon or an elder. I'm just saying that's not the qualification. There's tons of people who have in, in leadership that, that have great charisma and personality. There's people who have prosperity. But the point is, is that what happens is a lot of times uh, people will want to put people who have wealth in positions of leadership because they want them to continue to go there and continue to give money to the church. And, and sometimes people will abuse the power by giving money, thinking, well, if I give money, now I have a right to have input as to the way things are going to run around here. 
And none of those things are the right way in which we should accomplish leadership within the church. And so none of these things are listed, but hey, you know, if you're popular or you got the right name or you got money, that doesn't disqualify you from, from leadership. That's just not the qualification we see here. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus really on these first seven verses. We're going to focus on the qualifications for an elder, the, the qualifications for a deacon. As we read through there, you probably noticed that, hey, a lot of the same things, it's, it's very similar in the qualifications for a deacon and for an elder, with the exception of being able to teach. That's not in there, but really, really you just see the same, the same qualifications. And really, we see within deacon leaders that it's really just Christ-like qualities of serving the needs of the congregation with sincerity, with compassion, with efficiency, with skill. And oftentimes what happens is, is candidates for deacons will, will then um, are men who might even eventually become overseers in the position of elders down, down the road after they've uh, served a given time and there's been seasoning in their, in their life. So I want to give you, and, and I want you to, you know, when you take this home, hopefully you'll keep this tonight. Because uh, as, Tony mentioned, as Tony mentioned last week, we, you know, we, our last elder that we brought on uh, was David Latill, and, and they prayed, prayed for him for over a year. And that process of moving and bringing him on as an elder was a very long process and a journey. And we started last month praying for uh praying for our next elder and it's not a decision that that anybody's going to make lightly and so once we feel like it's god's directing and leading and then then we'll we'll bring that before the church because there may be things about this individual that that we don't know and so it's important for you to have input into that in that decision so we want to we want to know what is you know what are these what are these qualifications what is what is, what are we looking for and so I, I i've just tried to make these statements they're just these big umbrella statements we're going to go through everything verses one through seven but just these big umbrella statements for you to be able to take five things away and say okay this is what we're looking for in an elder and the first one is they have a desire to be an elder which makes no sense like, it makes no sense. I said that a while ago, and I don't know if you know Pastor Rods here. So Pastor Rods at Harbor City, a uh, church we planted several years ago. And so it's good to have him here with us. He's part of the family. And some of you, you remember Rod and you know Rod. And Rod's going, amen, brother. Like, I saw the look on your face. Like, who in the world would sign up for this? Who would desire this? Who wants this? And so this, this word overseer, it's, uh, it means watcher or protector. Like I said, you can go to Titus 1 or 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Um, but here's, here's what I, I want to help us understand. In verse 1, he says, this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so I had to think, okay, what does this mean? Because nobody who's really called is really saying i want this so what does this mean and there's a difference between ambition this is what i this is what i the conclusion i came to there's a difference between ambition and aspiration 
And see, ambition seeks to gain power for the sake of self. That's really what it is. And not, not wanting to be in charge. Uh, not, I guess the, so ambition is wanting to be in charge for the purpose of power, for the purpose of self. But aspiration is something very different. It's not wanting to be in charge to gain power, but caring less about the position. Don't, it's, it's this idea that we don't want or need the position. So what is it then? This is the way I would say it. Aspiring to the office of overseer means humbly submitting to God's call to leadership out of a desire to obey God and serve the church. I don't think anybody that is an elder here today ever felt qualified to serve in that role. And still, still I don't feel qualified to serve in that role. Nobody, nobody when they were approached, I promise you, so David was the last one approached. So nobody, when, when they approached David, David was like, yes, I've been waiting for you guys to come. Where have you guys been all these years? I'm sitting here, time's ticking, you, you know? No, he's thinking, at first glance, he's like, there's no way, no shot. It's not, not me. There's so many other people that are qualified. There's so many other people that we, would be better at this. There's so many other people. Well, I feel like that every single day I get up and come to work. Every single day that I step up on this platform, that's my story. And so... So what, is it, what does it mean? They're not looking for this position, but there's this thing within the person. It's a calling. It is a calling. And so, no, I'm not seeking this out because this is what I want. I'm seeking this out because I have to obey God. I have to serve the local church. That's the call that God has placed. And so that's the, the seeking and the desire that we're, that we're talking about. Okay? So, one, there's a desire to be an elder. Number two, they exemplify godly character and then teach it to others. So verses two and three. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of, of money. Here's the way I would say it. We're talking about the overseer within. We're talking about the personal life of an overseer. Okay, so all of these things can fall under the umbrella of a really godly character and then this desire to, to teach it to others as we live it out in our lives and also as we open our mouths and teach the Word of God. Okay, so real quickly, we're going to run through every one of these, but like I said, Real quickly, I'm not going to unpack, uh, unpack these, but so he says above reproach. What that means is to be blameless or without accusation. So does that mean sinless perfection? I hope not, because then we wouldn't have any elders. None. Is it, does it mean that you have to have a pristine past? I hope not, or I got to drop the mic and walk down and sit with you guys. So what does it mean? It really is this, it's this image of being, not being marred by disgrace. This, this general assessment of maturity in a believer's life. Okay? So just, just faithful servant 
to God that is mature in their faith. Husband of one wife. That word literally means one woman man. So many people have taken this passage to mean that you cannot serve as an elder or a deacon if you have ever been divorced. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. Now, if you've been divorced, then we need to have a conversation because you may be divorced because you weren't a one-woman man. You don't got yourself in trouble, and so why, why are we there? But there are people, there are men who are divorced that are qualified for eldership, and there are men who've never been divorced who will never be qualified for eldership. So that's not the determining factor. So what is it? A one-woman man, a man who is faithful to his wife in fidelity, in harmony. He loves her and cares for her and leads her well. That's what we're talking about. So it's a one-woman man. You don't have to wonder whether or not he's faithful to his wife. Sober-minded means to be temperate or in a sober state of mind. He doesn't allow things to cloud his mind or his decision-making. Self-controlled means to be reasonable or sensible, having sound judgment, level-headed. Someone who responds versus reacts. I say this all the time. Sometimes you'll come to me and you ask me, hey, what should I do in this situation? I'm like, first of all, you need to calm down. You need to show some self-control. Because what it is, is high emotion leads to low judgment. And it can be on both ends. We can do some really dumb things because we're in a really good mood. Like, well, probably shouldn't have done that. But we can be really mad and then say some things that we never should have said. So high emotion leads to low judgment. Well, that's going to take self-control because in the moment... We just want to step out. But God's called us to be self-controlled. He's called us to be respectable. That, means, that word actually means order or orderly. And so our actions are guided by orderly ideals and virtues. People respect who somebody who's, who's orderly in the way in which they operate in their ideals and virtues. Hospital, hospitable means loving and compassionate, sacrificially caring and serving for, for others. Able to teach. That's a skill of communicating knowledge. There's this ability to, to understand and explain scriptures and then to help other people understand and apply what God's word says. And so that's what we're talking about. Not a drunkard. This idea of not being addicted to, the wine, to wine. This word really means not to stay near wine. It describes somebody who habitually has alcohol nearby and cannot be far from it. And what he's saying is overseers must avoid dependence upon any substance. Not violent or quarrelsome. That means not contentious or quarrelsome. Don't allow emotions to fuel interactions. We're going to have disagreements. If, if God puts you in a position of leadership, you're not always going to be able to do things the way people want them done. There are going to be disagreements in the body of Christ. We had a conversation last month. We had this whole conversation about unity versus uniformity. God's created us different. We've got different passions. We've got different personalities. And we have, we're different people. And we see things different. We come from different places. And we have different circumstances and experiences. And different pasts. And all these things. We bring all that to the table. And so we're not always going to agree on everything. But there's a way in which we should disagree. And as a leader, 
And that means you're to lead and to love people through those disagreements. We're to be gentle. And that's the opposite of, of violent and quarrelsome. And so there's this response that's appropriate for the occasion. Not a fighter, but peaceable. And willing, to, willing and able to lose the grip on being right. Sometimes we just have to be right. And we lose sight of what's most important. And sometimes, not, and now we're talking about eldership and we're talking about leaders, but this applies to everybody. Sometimes we got to let loose the grip of being right for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the other people, for the sake, for the sake of them. And so God's called us to be gentle, not a lover of money. So we shouldn't have this disposition where we're overly motivated to pursue material things. Number three, they lead their family well. They lead their family well. Verses four and five, he says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The church is not a corporation. It's a family. It's a big family. But it's a family. When you you become a child of God, you enter into a family with other believers. You have brothers and sisters in the faith. And so it's a a family. So if we're going to look at leaders and determine who's going to be a leader in the church, we need to see how they're managing their own family before we give them a position of leadership in this family. That makes sense. Doesn't that make sense? And so... A reflection, a good reflection of how somebody's going to lead the church is how a man leads his family at home. And does that mean, does that, mean that they're going to have perfect kids? Nope. It does not. Does it even mean that, that your leadership at some points in time won't have wayward kids? Mm-mm. Been there, done that. So what what does it mean? Here's here's some questions I would ask. Does he create calm, structured home environment? Does he hold children to reasonable expectations and point them towards Christ and godliness? Do his kids respect him and show him honor? Even when they don't necessarily do things the way we would want them to do it, do they still hold their father in high esteem and have respect and admiration? These are qualities that we need to understand because a man's home is a remarkably accurate barometer for his character and his ability to lead. But here's the thing. And so here's my, here's my question for you. If we're having this conversation of wayward or does that mean that if, if Pastor Tony lives the perfect life? I mean, here, here's a prime example. Jesus did live the perfect life, and yet Peter was one of the apostles. And Peter made boneheaded mistakes all the time. I feel like Jesus was a qualified elder. Okay? You see what I'm saying? And so just because you may go wayward, or someone in this family may go wayward, we're... We're just talking about how, how a man, how a leader leads within the family of faith. Okay? And so that's important. And I would say this. 
uh, uh, otherwise qualified men can't adequately give attention to leading the church if their home is constantly in chaos and crisis. Okay? And so that's the flip side of it. So, okay, if your home is a train wreck all the time, and so you can't focus on the work that God's called you to in leading the church, then you shouldn't step into a position of leadership as an elder. You need to take care of your, your home. You need to take care of your family. That's, that's the order. That's why God, we had chapter 2 in 1 Timothy before we got to chapter 3. Okay? That's important. Number four. They are an established believer. They are an established believer. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So what are we talking about here? Now, let me just say this. Gosh, if you're a new believer, I love you. I love, gosh, I love being around new believers. I love when people come to faith. I love the enthusiasm. I love everything about it. The excitement. I love how new believers are rough around the edges. They don't know all the Christian lingo. They, they just have this childlike faith. They, they just soak up the Word of God. They can't get enough. They're just like a spiritual sponge. And they can't get enough. You tell them something. They read something in Scripture. And it's just this like, oh, well, I'm going to do that. And it, which makes sense. That's what we should do. But the longer we're Christians, we're like... Yeah, but, you know, but like a new believer, they're like, man, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is what it means to be free in Christ. Like, I've been a slave to all these things over here, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful. But they're not ready to step into a position of, of leadership yet. See, that takes, that takes time. It takes time for your roots to grow. It takes time to be fed by Scripture, to understand and, and apply Scripture personally, to walk through the weeds Right? To, go through the, to go through the storms. And there's got to be this proven ability to live the gospel. And that can't happen overnight. It's this proven ability to serve in leadership. We had this conversation in the last elders meeting. We were praying through. We've been, like I said, we've been praying about an elder. And I remember talking to the men in the room. I'm like, Here, here's what I did. I looked at the qualifications. But oftentimes we see people that we think have potential. That's not what God's talking about. See, these aren't people who have potential. These are people who have been proven leaders within the church. They've led in other areas. We've watched them lead. We've watched them be gentle. We've watched them not be quarrelsome. We've watched their children respect them. We've watched all these things. And so it's not like, hey, I think they might be these things. No, they've proven themselves to be these things because it's too important. It's too important. And so this proven ability to serve and leadership. And then number five, the overseer with, uh, well, number five, I keep forgetting to give you all the underscores there. That's the problem. I'm messing you all up, aren't I? Okay. So the overseer, man, I did that a couple times. Right? So, yeah, we've already made that clear. Good job. All right, so uh, to the last point, the overseer within the church is an established life is what that last, uh, that last passage was. Um, but number five, they have an upstanding reputation in the world. They have an upstanding reputation in the world. So verse seven, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders 
so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So here's, here's some things I know. Is, is the world around us going to always agree with us? Are they going to agree with our stances and our core beliefs? And are, they, are we going to agree on everything? Are, they going to, you know, are we going to sometimes be looked down upon and, and, and ridiculed or be left out? Or whatever it is, however you just want to feel. Those things are going to happen. But here's some things I know. If you read through that list and you go live that out in the world, people can appreciate that. Right? If you, if you live out what we just talked about in these verses, people, people are okay with that. They can appreciate honesty. They can appreciate integrity. They can appreciate kindness and gentleness and hospitality. They can appreciate generosity. When we do our work, when we show up to work, or when we show up at the grocery store, we, and we show up and we do our work as unto the Lord, and give our very best in everything that we do, guess what? We're the best employee at the place. And people want that. But the problem is, is oftentimes Christians aren't the best employee at their job. And so he's saying that you've got to have an upstanding reputation in the world. And if you do, if you, if you love people sacrificially, if you serve them, if you seek to make a difference everywhere that you are, People will take notice and appreciate that. If you abuse any power that you've been given as a leader in your workplace or whatever it is that we're talking about, wherever you go, whatever you do, if you abuse power, if you take shortcuts at work, if you seek the promotion at any cost where I have to run over anybody to get to what I want, then we're not going to have an upstanding an upstanding reputation in the world. See, we're talking about, talking about public life. Public life. What does our public life look like? Does it line up? Because here's the thing. These qualifications, and it's very clear, these qualifications aren't for just when we walk through the doors of the church. There's a whole lot of people who will walk through the doors of the church and can fake it till they make it for an hour and a half if Tony's preaching <laughs> can fake it till they make it for an hour and a half and they can get out the door what's their family have to say what do their co-workers have to say what's the what's the lady that was in line in front of you at Walmart have to say what's your public life what's your family life what's your all these things matter and these are ways that we determine Who's qualified to serve in a position of, of leadership? And so that's the way that we aim to, to choose leaders around here. And you play a part in that. We aim to choose leaders based on the qualifications that we see in Scripture. And I can tell you, I can stand here and confidently tell you that every elder that serves this church, they meet these qualifications. And I can tell you, as long as the elders that serve are serving, that we will only appoint elders that meet these qualifications. And we don't take this lightly. We don't take it lightly. And you shouldn't take it lightly. You should want to be in a place, in a family, 
that seeks to put put people in in positions of leadership that line up with these qualifications that we see laid out in Scripture here. And so here's three takeaways. So I guess four, because I want you to just think about, okay, you should only, and I'm not saying that you will be here for the rest of your life. I hope it is. I mean, when you're family, you don't disown your family. So my hope and my goal is that you plant your life here and you're here till the day that you die. But if you ever have to leave and you do decide to leave, you should only plant your life in a, in a church that is an elder-led church. You're setting yourself up for a lot of pain and a lot of hurt if you do, if you don't. And so I would say, and then make sure that your elder-led church lines up with these, with these qualifications. So now you have an understanding. Go, this, this, is what, this is what we should seek in our, in our church, in the leadership at our church. Okay, but I told you every one of these qualifications are just basic Christian principles and virtues. So I got a few questions for you for as we leave here tonight. Here's a few questions. Okay, one. Does your inner life match your public life? Are you faking it till you make it? Because that's important. Do, do you have not perfect, remember? And I would say this. God, God doesn't want perfection from you because He is perfect. He's already been there and done that. What He wants from us is progress. He wants us to, to grow in godliness. He wants us to be maturing in our faith. There's some people in the room that will one day be elders. But you're not ready yet. And so what do we do? We walk out our faith. And so we grow in godly character. And we seek to know God more. And to walk in greater obedience. And be the people that God has called us to be. And so does your, your private life match your public life? Number two. What do those closest to you have to say about you? What do those closest to you have to say about you? I've, done, I've, I've really tried, this is something that has been so important to me. I, I, I don't know if I read this years ago, or I don't know if I heard this years ago, or I don't know if God gave me this. Either way, He gave it to me, but I don't know how it came, what form it came in. But I can remember early on as a believer, I can remember thinking, I want those who know me best to have the best things to say about me. And I would hope that then my wife sitting right there, I have everybody in the room would have the best things to say about me. And I'm not saying I'm perfect in any way, but I'm just telling you that I want the people who know me best, whether it's my wife or my children or my parents or those that are in my circle, in my inner circle. I love you and I, I really care about what you think about me, but not like that. And so we should live our lives as believers. See, they, they get to see the real us. They get to see the real us. But would they have the best things to say about you? I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, yeah, there's some people in this room, that's the case. And it's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Godly character. Godly character. And number three, what would those in your public setting have to say about you? Because the goal is, 
none of us in, in here are perfect. None of, us, none of us have arrived. None of us, we all have room for improvement. And so maybe for you, it's your inner life where you're like, there's some things that aren't lining up with what we talked about tonight that I know God's calling me to grow in this area. Maybe it's your, your family life. And you're saying, hey, the people who are closest to me, I don't know if they would have the best things to say about me. So maybe I need to start changing some things. We need a course correction. I need to start doing things a little bit different within the walls of my home, within the confines of those people that are close to me. And maybe for some of you, you're like, wait a minute, I'm a horrible boss. I'm a horrible coworker. I'm not living this out at work. Like I do a great job when, we, when I come to church, when I show up here, man, I'll serve God and I'll do all these things and I'll, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that there. And so that's an area where we're like, okay, I need to start modeling this in my public life more. And so what's the next step for you? Where do you go from here? What's God calling to you? What's an area of your life where just, you just need to line up more in line with what the plan and the purpose that God has for your life? And we're all a work in progress. None of us are perfect. We're all on this journey together. All of us. And we're all serving we all play a vital role in building the kingdom of God. I think about all the different ways. I was just talking to Zach before service, and he's talking about how he's going to Century Kid next week. Man, do you think that's less important than whatever I'm doing next week? No, he's pouring into and investing in the children and the, the lives and future leaders in the church. Man, what, what, is there something better than that? Some of y'all, most of y'all were here pouring your hearts out like last week at VBS, pouring into the church and so no we're all just to fill the our lane the things that God has called us to and to serve within our responsibilities and our roles and to serve well to serve well that's what we're called to do and so hey this is what you should look for in leadership but guess what it's all it's all for us too for everybody in the room and we all together get to build the kingdom of God what a blessing and what a gift so let's pray God thank you for Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. I know it's a lot, um, but I'm grateful that we, God, we don't have to figure this out on our own. We, we don't have to stumble around and try and figure out what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to, to lead your church. God, you've made it very, very clear. You've made it very clear. And so I pray for everyone in this room that we would just walk in obedience. Walk in obedience to whatever it is that you're calling us to do. We want to be a church that models ourselves after the things that we've talked about tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Help us to be those people. God, so we can make a difference here at Michael, but so we can make a difference here in Gulfport, so we can make a difference around the world. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that we get to be a part of building your kingdom. None of us are qualified. None of us are worthy. You, God, alone are worthy. You are worthy. And so we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. God, to love and to serve you however you see fit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, love you guys. I know.